How you guys doing? Welcome to another episode of The Hammer, an umpire podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Weber, and I've got a little episode for you this week, as I always do. And, um, you know, I've got a, a couple of uh, longer segments. Um, I have, a, 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 I think, a pretty interesting segment on the history of ejections. Uh, I also, as always, have an umpire spotlight. This week, it's Steve Palermo. And um, a little update here in the state of Michigan, also a short segment on um, officials' unemployment um, situation and, you know, how things have been going for that, at least as far as what uh, officials have been able to accomplish here in Michigan, which I think might be similar to other parts of the country. Um, Hopefully you guys are hanging in there. Uh, I was hoping that we might get back to some baseball here in uh, May, but at least not in Michigan we aren't going to. Um, We're hoping maybe first of June, or at least that first week there, we might be back on the fields. Um, we still have the stay of home at home order, and um, other things are closed down. I mean, Michigan's been hit uh, harder than a lot of states as far as uh, uh, the coronavirus. So, um, you know, we might be a little bit slower to open, but hopefully at some point here we can be on the baseball field. I, I keep putting off the games I need to assign because they keep kind of getting canceled before I even start doing them. So hopefully I can get those going, uh, get a few games in myself, you know, on the bases and behind the plate and, uh, and, um, do a little bit of umpiring this year. Uh, um, I'm sure some of you are looking forward to that as well. And, uh, I try to keep my, my mind in the game, you know, watching some old baseball on TV when I can. And, uh, you know, checking out my rule books. And, and of course, you know, I like my baseball history and everything. Uh, so I always look at the, the history of umpiring. So I'm kind of going into some of those things here, like this particular episode, um, as far as uh, like ejections, I think you might find it interesting. So, you know, get you thinking in the baseball, baseball frame of mind. You guys can uh, sit back and make sure you can hear me just fine for another episode of The Hammer, an umpire podcast. The Michigan High School Athletic Association, who oversees all high school athletics here in Michigan, uh, last week released uh, a memo about um, how things have been going for officials that have applied for uh, unemployment benefits under the CARES Act and how that's been going. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know what, what you want to think. I, it, it's kind of gone the way I thought that it would. So um, there are some officials that are being granted some relief and some, you know, unemployment benefits. Uh, They're being granted unemployment benefits if officiating is your sole source of income. That's originally what I thought. Um, They're being granted unemployment benefits if they receive uh, Social Security retirement income in combination with their officiating income. So that's a good thing, too, if you're a retired person doing it. They're being granted unemployment benefits based on W-2 income if they also lost a regular job as a W-2 employee. So you lost your one job and then you also have officiating. That seems to be figured in there as well. But people more like my situation, if you and I haven't applied, but if I did, I would be denied 
unemployment benefits if you uh, have lost your efficient income, but you maintain your regular W-2 income regardless of the amount or percentage of income for which officiating accounts. Now, I make a good uh, amount of money officiating, you know, more than a lot of guys and less than some other people, but, you know, it's definitely money that I count on for certain things. But um, my regular job, I'm, I'm a teacher, and um, I'm still getting paid, so I can't complain. Uh, I can pay all my bills and everything. And to be honest with you, I never even, I mean, I, I thought about applying, but I, I didn't do anything. I didn't, you know, didn't even really look at it. I just kind of looked at the information that was out there and thought there definitely are other people that are in far, you know, worse situations than me and they need that money. So I don't need to like take some of that money because I know there's only so much to go around. So that's kind of what's going on here in the state of Michigan. I would think that it might be similar in other states. I'm interested to know uh, how it's going in other states. Um, What success or failures have you had in trying to... um, you know, recoup some of your officiating uh, income, um, feel free to send me an email or leave me a voicemail or reach me on Facebook and let me know how that's going. But uh, that's what it's looking like here in the state of Michigan. And, um, you know, not surprisingly, if you have a regular job, then it's going to be very difficult to to get some kind of income um, supplement. like to take a few minutes and talk about an interesting topic that all of us who are umpires have had to discuss with people before, ejections, kind of the history of umpire ejections. If you're an umpire, which I assume you are since you're listening to this podcast, I know there's a few of you that aren't, um, invariably, when you talk to somebody that isn't an umpire and they find out that you are an umpire, one of the very first things that they ask you about is ejections and ejections you've had or crazy situations you've been in and and uh, a lot of us have had such things so we're able to uh, tell some good stories I guess but uh, umpire ejections have been around almost since the beginning of baseball um, they actually use some different things to start out which I'll talk about momentarily but uh, throughout the years you know much like uh, home runs or strikeouts or any other statistic in baseball and and baseball is a statistics run game um you know ejections have waxed and waned they've they've gone up and down over the years but unlike you know home runs or hits or strikeouts or whatever you might have attitudes toward ejections and how umpires should make use of this uh tool that they have uh has changed over the years all right uh, umpires eject players and coaches and managers and potentially other personnel if they deem fit for a variety of reasons. It could be abusive language. It can be uh, when arguing an umpire's decision, especially balls and strikes. Uh, it could be uh, a pitcher intentionally throwing at a hitter. It could be a brawl or any other kind of fighting situation. It can be violating rules like, you know, doctoring a pitch or using a cork bat uh, or some other illegal bat nowadays, right? Um, So there's all kinds of things that they can uh, use uh, the ejection for if they deem fit. And some of it is um, spelled out specifically in rule books, right? So 
Anyway, I think a little more interesting in some ways is the the pattern of ejections um, from the different eras of baseball, and um, and how the you know how that's changed over the time up until our present day. So in the early days of baseball, um, the authority to impose discipline for you know unsportsmanlike conduct initially took the form of fines. You know, and and people are always kind of. Uh, hit in their pocketbook if, if they're doing something wrong. It wasn't ejections. You know, they, umpires uh, beginning in 1879 were able to um, impose fines on uh, players for whatever conduct they deemed unnecessary. It could be just, you know, some comment that they made or whatever it might be. So obviously this proved to be not as effective as uh, you might uh might hope it would be. Uh, obviously, we still have fines now, but they usually are followed um, from an ejection, right? So, in the you know late century National League, this is what they started to do. You know, National League came around before the American League. Um, so, when inappropriate behavior persisted, as it as it invariably did, the ejection was born in about 1889, right? Um, as a result. We had lots of personalities that kind of um, popped up in baseball, very explosive personalities, people like John McGraw, the old New York Giants uh, manager. He also was a fiery player for the Baltimore Orioles um, before they, you know, when they were part of the American Association and kind of a minor league team. And um, he, McGraw, uh, was ejected 132 times between 1893 and 1931 when he was a player and then a manager, which is a crazy number. He had uh, four years with at least 10 ejections and 10 seasons with at least five. All 10 ejection-heavy seasons um, took place prior to 1917, a trend that was common to the first era of umpiring uh, with people like Bill Clem who kind of established um, the mod, you know, what we might think of as the modern ejection. So I've spoken about Bill Clem in Umpire Spotlight before, so um, if you are interested, go back and listen to that. But, of course, he's one of the fathers of modern umpiring, and uh, in the early days of Major League Baseball, there was only one umpire. So you're working the plate and dealing with everything on your own, um, and Clem was one of those early pioneers. He set a very um, high rate of, you know, ejections, you know, basically the major league record. He had um, 288 career ejections. This is starting, you know, with Fred Clark in 1905 when he first started umpiring to uh, pitcher Danny McFadden in uh, 1940. So he ejected 26 players, managers, and coaches during his rookie season in 1905. He ejected fellow Hall of Famer John McGraw a record 15 times from 1905 to 1921. And with uh, Major League Baseball uh, most regular season games under his belt when he retired with uh, 5,375 games worked, um, he averaged an ejection every 19 games worked. Uh, that's a, a higher rate of ejection then pretty much like if you took all of the full-time major league staff and um, and the minor league call-up umpires as well, um, he had a higher rate of ejection than all of them combined from like nowadays, which is uh, pretty amazing. 
I'm sure you guys can figure out your own um, ejection rate. Uh, I worked around 150 games last year. I think I ejected around five people. I, I could look it up, but that's just off the top of my head. So that'd be like one person every 30 games. I feel like that's a little bit high, but that's the way it kind of worked out. Of course, I had one game where I ejected two people, so you know it kind of doubles it up. But every 19 games, that's a that's a crazy rate. Nonetheless, um, Clem kind of brought dignity and respect to the profession by being in control. I mean, we all talk about game management, and he was able to do that. Um, he um, averaged 20.4 ejections per season from 1905 to 1911, and uh, but just uh, 3.6 per season during his final five years in the National League, which was you know 1936 to 40. So he ejected over 20 players during a season four times, 1905, 7, 1910, and 11. But he never hit the double-digit mark during any season after 1920. Um, I think he gained more respect, and baseball was changing slightly as well. Um, Clem's you know, outlier year of eight ejections in 1935, uh, which was significantly high for... Um, later in his career, but um, that would have been significantly low early on in his career. It was um, high only because in April um, of that year, there was a big brawl and he had uh, four ejections. And you know, anybody that's been doing this long enough, you know that sometimes you have those kind of situations. As I mentioned, I mean, one of the main problems here is that um, frequently umpires were working alone. Um, if you just look at the years uh, from uh, 1901 to 1946, there were five managers and 31 players that had to serve as fill-in umpires um, during games when the regularly scheduled umpire was unable to make, you know, his assignment. Um, and that just, you know, obviously that's, that's a challenging thing. Some guys became major league umpires after their careers because of that, but um, that makes it very difficult. The National League was known as more of a you know, uh, an ejection kind of league compared to the American League. Um, the American League counterpart for Bill Clem, if you recall, was uh, Tommy Conley. And he was more diplomatic. Um, he wanted to come out and uh, create that, you know, you know, the autocratic personality, the person that's in charge. Um, and uh, American League President Ben Johnson wanted to have a more civil kind of league. Um, there were the, the junior circuit, the younger circuit. So that's what they did. So Conley, even though he wasn't a real big guy, he's like 5'7", 170, along with his you know staff, they commanded respect through rules knowledge, fairness, their firm manner. Not saying they didn't inject people, but they, um, they weren't looking for the quick hook like they maybe were in the National League. So in the late 30s, umpire history kind of changed dramatically um, with the advent of the formal umpire training schools. Uh, first, George Barr founded the first school for umpires in 1935, uh, and then Bill McGowan filed suit in 1939. So these, this professionalization of umpiring uh, changes the attitude and the treatment of umpires uh, correspondingly impacting ejections. So by the, the mid-20th century, veteran umpires uh, collectively tended to eject less and less frequently, from you know Jack O'Conlin's once-per-32-game rate to uh, Al Barlick's uh, one-in-52 mark, 
Um, you know, umpires embrace Conlon's words. I demand respect on the field for managers and players. To me, that's 75% of umpiring. I think a lot of you out there might agree with that. Um, so during this era, an umpire like, let's say, um, Marty Springsteed could be described as someone who was not shy about arguing with players and managers because he led the league in ejections in 1971. 71, sorry. Um, yet Springsteed never ejected more than six players during any one season. Uh, he ejected uh, six twice in 1971 and then again in 75, which is considerably less than the double-digit marks uh, common to early umpires. So um, Spring, Springsteed's 60 ejections over 3,010 games worked uh, is a rate of approximately one ejection every 50 games, about you know average for the time. Um, even Terry Cooney, who was lambasted for ejecting um, Red Sox pitcher Roger Clemens uh, alongside uh, Marty Barrett for multiple profanities regarding the strike zone in the 1990 American League Championship Series, he only ejected 40 people during his 2,232 regular season games in the American League. That's a rate of one ejection for every 56 games worked. Probably the advent of radio and then eventually television um, helped to reduce the number of ejections and the big rhubarbs and, and um, you know, crazy situations that you'd see on the ball field because they were getting broadcast. And um, even now you think about instant replay and lots of things are on video. So you do have to watch what you're doing. I mean, if you don't think anybody's going to be able to see it after the fact, then you're more likely to, to do something a little bit, you know, over the edge. Probably the person from, you know, the mid-1900s um, that best kind of exemplified the new way of being a, a great umpire and not having a bunch of ejections was Doug Harvey, who also um, spotlighted before. So um, Harvey worked over 4,600 games during his 30-year career before he retired in 92 and ejected just 56 people with um, season highs of seven ejections apiece in 1963 and 1987. So though Harvey's ejections toll was like one per 82, uh, that was lower than those of you know many earlier umpires, Harvey still entertained managers and players who wanted a good old-fashioned argument because he certainly could give it back if he needed to. And he earned the respect of many, including... Um, you know, the major league's managerial ejection record holder, Bobby Cox, um, who said that Doug's a real class guy. You feel good when he's working your games, you know, even though I'm sure you got ejected by him a few times. So another famous uh, face with the low ejection rate uh, from the 70s and 80s and 90s was Don Denkinger. Uh, he ejected one per every 83 games. Um as well as Hall of Famer Barlick, who, after ejecting the crew high 12 players and managers in 1951, um, and a total of 52 people between 41 and 51, ejected no more than three people per year for the final 20 years of his, you know, great umpiring career. Um, so that's just 29 over the 1951 to 71 period, one per 52. Um, from 51 to 71, one per 97. You would think 
that uh, most umpires, whatever level you might work, whether you're a little league umpire or you're a big-time college umpire or you're a pro umpire, that your ejections should go down. You know I mean? You should get better at your crafts. And, um, you know, just obviously you, you make better calls so you have less issues. I mean, we know sometimes you might make the spot-on perfect 100% call and somebody's still going to argue with you. But uh, how you handle people and um, how you manage a game, you know, you, you should have your ejection totals go down. Um, sometimes they might go up for one year because, you know, you have like a big brawl and you got to throw out three or four people or something like that. But in general, they should go down. And, you know, you see that with Al Barak. For those of us that um, grew up watching baseball in the 1970s, 80s, into the 90s, um, or just were watching baseball at that point, if you're a little bit older guy, um, you know, you had a lot of colorful umpires out there that had a certain style and, and flair to them. You know, the Dutch Renards and uh, Jerry Dale and, uh, you know, even the uniforms that they wore sometimes in the 70s and 80s, like the American League's maroon blazers and, and such things. Um, There's a certain panache that umpires had, and they kind of had to have that. And they had to add a little something, and sometimes uh, you'll be able to handle yourself um, without having an ejection when somebody came and argued some, some call. Um, over the years, over the last... Uh, 10, 20 years, that certainly, um, that certainly has changed. You know, toward the end of uh, the, uh, the 20, 20th century, the umpiring schools, uh, the Joe Brinkman School, the Jim Evans School, um, and then eventually the McGowan Summers Wendelset School started taking uh, more root and producing umpires um, and umpires that were, you know, uh, very similar in many ways. And this all culminated with uh, the 1999 Major League Umpire Association um, collective bargaining disagreement and strike, and then the resignation of the the 22 umpires, and and that brought in um, because they had to hire guys that didn't come back. I mean, a few of them did, but um, some some new guys that had to come in, and they were being tested, and we saw ejections um, start to increase in. Um, late 90s and early uh, 2000s you know you'd have over 100 ejections um, a season per league at that point um, the the biggest ejection year was in 2003 when they had 282 combined you know major league ejections that was one of the highest in in the modern era so um, you know like I said, part of that can go with the, the new umpires over there. And um, also in 2002, um, Major League Baseball introduced uh, the the new strike zone, the, the quiz tech, um, that, to try to, you know, gauge how well umpires were calling the strike zone. And so they were, they were getting more and more arguments about strike zone. And, and we know that that's a, a very quick way to get yourself ejected from a game if you're going to be arguing that. There was a lot of pressure on those umpires, some of them new guys, some of them older guys, to get at least 90% accuracy on the quiz tech. And uh, this led to probably, you know, some pressure and some maybe some short tempers um, at times uh, dealing with that. Um, and of course, um, with the culmination of all this, the two leagues merged and we started to get um, more uniform uh, training of umpires for both leagues 
and uh, following the baseball umpire manual more closely and standardizing how they handle situations and um, how they are how they conduct themselves on and off the field and you know the way they dress and um, and basically the idea is that you know they wanted umpires that would remain calm confident and non-confrontational and this is um, you know the way you see the younger umpires that make the make it to the major leagues and the minor league umpires are taught to be that way and it works its way down to um, collegiate umpires and high school umpires and and everybody's trying to do that you want to be calm confident and non-confrontational this takes a lot of the pizzazz and and you know of a of a good confrontation and argument out um and uh you know baseball's kind of lost that um then once we had the advent of instant replay more and more uh, for different plays as it's come to now a lot of people thought oh we won't have any more ejections actually ejections have maintained pretty close to what they were it's just that guys get ejected for different things you know they go to replay and they don't like to replay and they argue about it and they get ejected it's almost like procedural ejections frequently we do have the head you know coach or player that gets ejected here and there but uh, more often than not, it's more of a procedural, like this, you know, will lead to an injection. And also, we see more warnings um, as well, which is, you know, from the professional level all the way down that we are told to to warn. And then if they, you know, continue with what they're doing, then they get ejected. And I think that's a good policy. But a lot of people don't like this because, you know, <laughs> you know, it kind of takes that fire out of the game that a lot of people like to see. You know, sometimes they don't mind it if a guy comes out screaming yelling you don't have to warn him you just you know the heave ho or you give warnings for um hit by pitches like people are throwing at people because usually now you know if you have a hit by pitch situation going on the first one's kind of a freebie whoever does it first you know you pluck somebody uh, usually it's the retaliatory hit by pitch that gets people ejected so um it used to be you know long time ago let's say 1960s and before if an umpire thought you threw at somebody on purpose you know, we are, we've all been around the game long enough. You can have a pretty good idea if they did it on purpose. If you think they did, boom, you're you're done. Um, and that ends it. And then you don't have to have the retaliatory thing. But uh, they kind of changed that over the years. And, um, you know, that's just the way things go now. Um, I'm not saying it's better or worse. I mean, some things about it are, are better and some things about it definitely are not better. So, you know, nowadays, um, you know, if you look at it, as far as ejections, the, the quality or correctness um, of a call um, is usually pretty good most of the time. It, it's, um, you know, sometimes that's what people think they're getting ejected because of a correct or incorrect call on a play or a pitch or whatever it might be. And statistics show the umpires get those right a majority of the time. In the end, what it seems to be nowadays probably at all levels, is that um, the majority of, um, you know, ejections aren't about accuracy or correctness, but about, um, you know, offending parties, you know, the way they conduct themselves or disagreements about um, some other conduct violation. Um, that seems to be the reason for an ejection. So 
that's a little bit colorless compared to, you know, Earl Weaver going at somebody because they thought that, you know, he, his runner was safe and you called him out or something like that. Um, it wouldn't have been very exciting back, you know, in 1979 to see Earl Weaver get ejected because he didn't like the instant replay. But uh, that's kind of what, uh, that's kind of where we're at now. So, you know, they do keep track of uh, ejections. And uh, I don't know if you are familiar with it, but I suggest once baseball gets going again here to check out Close Call Sports and the Umpire Ejection Fantasy League. They go into detail and analysis on every ejection and the event and everything that happens um, during the Major League Baseball season. And um, it's pretty interesting to look at. So if you haven't checked that out, once baseball gets going, I, I suggest that. And, um, you know, have some thoughts about and maybe do a little data on your uh, number of ejections that you have and, and think about why those ejections took place. So there you go, a little history on um, the ejections in uh, baseball history. This week's umpire spotlight is American League umpire Steve Palermo, who um, most of you, if you're familiar with uh, some past umpires, are familiar with his tragic story. Uh, Palermo was uh, an American League umpire from 1977 until 1991. And um, if he wasn't... uh, you know, shot and paralyzed and stuff, I'm sure would have worked much longer than that. Who knows? He could still be working now. Um, He was born in October 1949 in Massachusetts and, uh, you know, went to college at uh, Norwich University and, uh, um, you know, studying education and stuff. Uh, While in school, he worked in, you know, umpired baseball. And while he was doing that, he was discovered working a Little League All-Star game by Barney Deary, uh, who was the Major League Baseball Umpire Development Program leader. All right. So kind of crazy if you think about it. I guess, you know, if, if you're good enough, they're going to find you at some point or another. Anyway, he had several you know, highlights in his career, um, even though for him, compared to a lot of umpires, you know, 14 years is a short career. Um he worked the 1983 World Series. Uh, he worked three American League Championship Series, 1980, 82, and 89. He worked the 1981 American League Division Series and the 1986 All-Star Game. Um, in 1991, the Sporting News, isn't really too much around anymore, but it was a big publication back in the day. They rank Palermo, number one among American League umpires for overall performance. For what that's worth, we know, I don't know who's judging these things, but that's what it was. His first game as an umpire was um, with the uh, Toronto Blue Jays in their first ever game um, on April 7th, 1977 at Exhibition Stadium. Uh, Palermo was third base umpire for that game. He was one of the first American League umpires to never use the outside chest protector, even though he started in the um, later 70s where the balloon protector was still being used extensively by American Leaguers. So starting in 77, all new um, American League umpires had to adopt the inside chest protector, which is obviously what all of us out here now use, I, I would think, uh, which had been um, you know used in the National League for decades, um, you know, because that's what Bill Clem wanted people to do, right? 
So AO umpires on staff prior to 77 were grandfathered in and they could continue to use the outside protector. Uh, among those um, umpires with Palermo in the class of 77 were people like uh, uh, Durward Merrill and Vic Voltaggio. So some career highlights also include umpiring two of the most famous games in New York Yankees history. In 1978, he worked the Yankees' one-game playoff against the Red Sox in Fenway Park to determine the AL Eastern Division winner. Um, Palermo uh, served as the third-base umpire, signaling fair ball when Bucky Dent hit the game winning or changing. It ended up being kind of a game winner. It wasn't like a walk-off uh, home run. Also, on July 4th, 1983, uh, Palermo worked behind the plate for Dave Rigetti's no-hitter against the Red Sox at Yankee Stadium. Um, then, Steve Palermo provided the umpire voice in Ken Griffey Jr. Presents Major League Baseball, um, just like a Super Nintendo video game. He was also in that for like uh, the different umpire things going on, which is pretty cool. You don't get a lot of uh, opportunities like that as a professional umpire. Uh, tragedy struck Palermo on July 7th, 1991. He and several of his friends, including fellow umpire Richie Garcia, uh, were eating dinner after a Texas Rangers game um, when they were alerted that uh, two waitresses were being beat up and mugged in the parking lot, like a, a, perch, a purse snatching incident. So being the the quality guy he was, he was going to go out and try to help, and, they, and he and a couple others ran out there in an attempt to apprehend the assailants, and there was uh, somebody in a getaway car of some sort with a gun who fired five shots, um, hitting, you know, the uh, some others, but also one of the bullets um, went into his abdomen and went around in his body and went toward a spinal cord, resulting in instant paralysis from his waist down. So, his umpire umpiring career was over, um, and um, you know that's what doctors told him. He and his wife, of course, and they thought they'd never be able to walk again. However, he's a tough guy, and through rehabilitation and determination, he managed to recover, uh, walking uh, with you know one small brace, a leg brace, and a cane, and he even threw out the ceremonial first pitch in Game One of the 1991 World Series. That was only three months um, after suffering his injury. He remained in umpiring in a supervisor capacity. In 1994, Bud Selig hired him as a special assistant, and then in 2000 um, elevated him to a supervisor of umpires for the league, a position that he held for many years um, after that. It's kind of interesting. Um, of course, you know, Palermo grew up in Massachusetts, and uh, I'm sure he was a Red Sox fan like his father. And after the famous Bucky Dent home run, uh, his father, after the game, was kind of giving him some some attitude and stuff and said, you know, couldn't you have called the ball foul? <laughs> he looked at him and said, it was like fair by 20 feet, you know. <laughs> it wasn't even close. So obviously, you know, we, we know that even if we have – some minor connection to some kind of team. We're, we're going to call it the way that it is. Um, Palermo was, um, you know, he didn't regret uh, trying to to save the young ladies that were being attacked and everything. He says he would have done it again. But um, 
he didn't like the way that his his career ended. I mean, he liked doing it. He liked being an umpire. You know, you want to go out on your own terms. I think that's what all of us want to do. Not everybody gets that opportunity, of course. Um, I guess he was in, pretty much he was in pain for the rest of his life. Um, unfortunately for him, he died in um, almost three years ago now in uh, 2017 of lung cancer. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm sure that... Uh, that's something that we all have to look at, you know, that you never know how things are going to turn in your life from one moment to the next. So you got to be appreciative of what you've got and what you've had in the past and um, don't take things for granted. Um, not saying that he took things for granted, but we all can learn that lesson from um, those kind of situations to, uh, you know, don't be complaining, keep our mouth shut and uh, keep working hard and appreciate what we got and the opportunities that we have. So, that is this week's Umpire Spotlight, Steve Palermo. That brings us to the end of another episode of the Hammer and Umpire Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed what I've presented to you today. Uh, I'll try to come up with some different things here and there. Um... I think I'm going to try to go into some uh, uh, more historical things um, in the next few episodes. Like, I want to talk about the historical significance of, like, the chest protector or um, umpire mechanics or, um, you know, maybe some other types of umpiring, too, like um, Cuban umpires or uh, Korean umpires or Japanese umpires. Um, maybe professional women umpires. I haven't really talked about that um, too significantly as well. I could go way back in history and talk about the dead ball era umpires um, or the Negro League umpires. All those are topics that at some point over the next uh, several episodes I hope to address. And um, hopefully you'll find it interesting um, to see, you know, where umpiring was at one point and what worked and what didn't work and then moving it forward, that's what we, you know, that's where we're at today. So you got to take what's good and cut the bad out and move forward. So I, I'm still getting a good number of listeners out there. Um, I think guys are, you know, they're, they're trying to hang in there and uh, be ready to umpire. Um, hopefully you are as well and, and you're keeping yourself loose and you're keeping your mind, you know, free of uh, the clutter of everything else that's going on. And you're keeping yourself in shape. Uh, that's definitely something we got to do, particularly uh, stretching and, and your and your muscles and everything. Make sure that the that when you get out there for the first time, especially when you're working on the plate. But you know, even if you're working the bases, man, you got to do some some good uh, some good quick movements uh, when you're on the bases as well. That you're ready to go and you're not going to injure yourself. So um, if you've kind of slacked off on that, I know that uh, staying in shape has been an issue with some people and. A lot of people are getting a little bit more overweight uh, from a lot of the stay-at-home orders. Um, make sure that you're doing whatever you can uh, to get outside, um, get the exercise in, get the cardio in, uh, and make sure that you're stretching and everything so that uh, hopefully when it comes, and hopefully it will come very quickly and, and is just you know bombard us with games and stuff, that's what we're all kind of hoping for, that you're ready to go, right? So I know I'm going to try to be because uh, I can't wait. And, you know, somebody can tell me, you know, in an hour, I, I you know, that I could work a game, I'd be there, man. I'd be there as soon as, you know, you could call me up right now and say, hey, can you leave right right this moment and work? I'd be like, let me grab my stuff. I'm, I'm going. 
So I'm sure you guys are, are like that as well. Feel free to always um, send me a voicemail through the Anchor app or send me an email, spinalfusion06 at yahoo.com. Uh, this is in like the show notes and everything, so if, if you want to look at that, you can you can find it. I, I get um, a good number of emails from time to time, and, and I appreciate that. I try to answer them all uh, when I get the opportunity. Uh, you know, I'm teaching right now, too. I'm doing a lot of this online teaching. I'm high school history and, and used to be English, but this year, all history teacher. And uh, so that stuff's been taking up some of my time um, recently as well. So I'm a little bit slower on the on the response to the emails. Um, the Facebook page, you can certainly reach me through that and message me as well. Um, I definitely check those and respond to those as well. So I hope you guys are doing well and you're healthy and you're happy and your families are doing well. Hopefully your um, your your job situation is doing okay. I know a lot of people that's not the case, um, and I hope that at least by June. Um, we can be back on the ball field doing the thing that we really love to do and making a little bit of money along the way. Until then, in whatever way you can, keep calling strikes.